Welcome everyone from across the universe to the Wampa's Lair Podcast. Star Wars is for everyone, so pull up a chair, get comfortable, and join the conversation with your hosts, Carl LeClaire and Jason Hunt, here in the Wampa's Lair. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another exciting episode of the Wampa's Lair podcast. This is episode 516, Legacy of the Force. I am, as always, one of your hosts, Carl LeClaire, and I am joined by good friend of mine, new podcaster himself. We've seen him a year ago talking New Jedi Order. We got my pal from Through the Glass Columns, my good friend Tyler. Hey, Tyler, welcome back. Thanks. This is now the second episode of the show that I'm getting all the way through. So very excited to be back. <laughs> I'm glad to have you back. Uh, as a like massive Jaina Solo fan, what was it, two years ago you set out to kind of do a Jaina Solo read-through of the Star Wars books? Is that right? Was it, Or maybe more than two years ago at this point? Yeah, probably about two and a half years ago. I, I held strong for a good 18 months or so power through everything except that last nine books of Legacy of the Force. So I almost made it, but it was a really fun journey. I did um, the the Corellian trilogy and then uh, Dark Nest, which was a mistake, and New Jedi (laughs) Order and a few of the Young Jedi uh, Knights books here and there. So it was a really fun experience going through it. I know we talked about that a bit last year, but uh, there was definitely some Legacy of the Force in there. And that was a highlight, if not quite as much as New Jedi Order. For sure. Yeah. And it's funny because when you were doing that, I wanted to kind of tag along in my own way and just kind of fell behind right from the beginning. Also, quick side note, I've actually never read the Corellian trilogy from the late 90s. Uh, I should do that at some point, although I know it's probably not that good. Um, It is a super fun, like should have been one long book that became a trilogy of short books. And so it's it's worth reading, but get ready for some Lando hijinks that do not belong in the book at all. (laughs) Well, that's that's kind of a great way to to segue into Legacy of the Force, a nine book series uh, that basically was published between 2006 and I believe it wrapped in 2008. Uh, I should have done the the homework. I can't believe I forgot to do that. Doesn't matter. It it came out I know around 2006 and and only lasted a couple of years. A nine book series that probably would have made a great four to five book series. Um, I was going to say six, so I'm glad we're on the same wavelength. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, we talked about this a year ago when we did New Jedi Order. So, of course, that's a 19-book series, which you did read all 19 books when you did your read-through, if I remember right. All 19 and two novellas. It was a good time, actually. There were (laughs) only two or three that were hard skips in that one. Yeah. I, and so when I decided to do this a year ago, I was like, all right, Tyler, what are like the most, Im- what are the, I think I asked you for the three or four most important books. And I ended up reading six or seven of them because I was having such a good time with it. Um, and then same with Legacy of the Force. I had picked three of them. I was going to read. I'd a- I've actually done all of Legacy of the Force back in, gosh, 2010 when I was in grad school. I remember doing all of them then. Um, but I did, uh, what I just most recently did just this past May is I read uh, the basically all the Karen Travis books. So Bloodlines, Sacrifice, 
and Revelation, and then I squeaked two more in there. I did Inferno, and then the final book, uh, um, Invincible, both by Troy Denning. I did not do any of the Aaron Alston books. Um, to any of you who are big Aaron Alston fans, obviously he took over the X-Wing series and then did Wraith Squadron. Um, I'm just not a fan of his writing style. I, I don't think he's a particularly good author. So I, I was kind of set not reading his books again. Um, and, and no shade to anybody who enjoys him. I'm glad you do. I just, I just don't. Um, but, uh, I feel like I got the crux of the story here, Tyler, with just those books in and of itself. Um, yeah, just looking over my notes at the books that you read and didn't read, I think the big thing that I am missing just from what I am seeing in your books is it seems like Aaron Alston did kind of the heavy lifting when it comes to the Jaina and Jag relationship. So other than that, mm. I don't think you missed any big moments. Okay, cool. Yeah, I mean, and obviously he sets the world up because he does the first book, Betrayal. Um, and I think the first thing that kind of grabs my attention about Legacy of the Force is cognizant of when it's coming out. So it's coming out right as the prequel trilogy was wrapping. Um, and it, it really does a lot of looking back on, specifically Episode 3, Revenge of the Sith, Um and the book kind of just revisits this idea of a galactic civil war. Uh, so um, probably should have said this right at the start of the episode. But if you've never read Legacy of the Force and you don't want to be spoiled about it, please log out and come back when you've when you've had time with that series. Because, of course, we'll we'll talk spoilers from the series. Um, so you've been warned. But to that end, right, Tyler, like the kind of the whole premise of this series is the galaxy is on the brink of civil war. It's. You know, I think I think it's, it takes place around four to five years after the the war with the Yuuzhan Vong, which is the New Jedi Order series. Um, I I tried to do the Dark Nest trilogy before starting this. I got about a it's third. a rough read. Yeah, I got a third through the first book, and I was like, yeah, I'm all set. <laughs> um, uh, which is fine, but uh, good for you. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> um, but this series kind of kind of revisits some of that prequel trilogy plot of. The, the galaxy kind of falling into war and the basic premise is, is Jason Solo takes it upon himself to uh, kind of commandeer the Galactic Alliance, which is what the, the legitimate government is. And the struggle be- becomes whether you want to be part of this kind of federal Galactic Alliance or are you a states rights, per- states rights person, to use American uh, analogies, of Corellia, right? Corellia wants to be kind of self-sufficient, wants to break away from the Galactic Alliance, um, similar to the Separatist movement and Attack of the Clones. Um, and that's kind of the, the whole background plot of this series is then the galaxy goes to this civil war um, and Jason Solo eventually falls to the dark side um, and becomes, of course, Darth Kytus. Um What did you think of this overall plot, though, Tyler? Did you think it was, uh, you know, like, oh, my goodness, it's it's this is a story we've heard before. Or do you think it, it, it kind of took some liberties in telling it in a new way? What did, what did you think of this general plot of the series? I found that the series worked at its best when it was almost playing the line between being a galactic civil war and being about kind of a family relationship, right? I found uh, having Han and Leia on one side of the conflict and their children on the other side worked really well and was interesting. Having kind of the high drama of Jason and Ben and Luke and Mara and all of the things that go on between them in the series, I think worked really well but in terms of like the big broad plot 
no, I don't get anything out of it at all. It's kind of taking half of the ideas from, as you said, the prequel trilogy, which was kind of new Star Wars at the time, and then it like slaps it together with a bunch of pieces that weren't quite finished from other series. We get the conclusion of the Centerpoint Station, and we get the conclusion of Tenel Ka and her trying to kind of piece together the Hapen Alliance. And it's a lot of kind of you know, salvage and junk being smashed together into a pretty serviceable ship. Like, there's a Millennium Falcon metaphor in here somewhere, but I just feel like there was something fresher they could have done, especially after New Jedi Order was very much a breath of fresh air, even though I know some people weren't a huge fan of how it got there. Yeah, yeah, and that's a, you know, I mean, like like we've mentioned, the Darkness Trilogy by Troy Denning does fall between these two kind of epic sagas. Um I don't think you miss much by miss much by skipping Dark Nest, um, but right, new like you said, New Jedi Order did do something fresh and new with Star Wars, and I mean to this day, I still I still don't quite love the Yuuzhan Vong. Like they still don't exactly feel like they fit in Star Wars, but I still really appreciate the heck out of the series because it just. It took new swings. It tried, it explored new yeah. territory. Um, it really kind of seemed to hand the baton to you know Jason and Jaina and and these these new young Jedi knights that we had been introduced to over the years. It really felt like it was finally handing the baton to them. And then this series, it it, it certainly is very much. It, again, I didn't reread all of the books just now, but it really felt like. Jason Solo and Ben Skywalker are the two main new characters. Jaina doesn't really get a ton of treatment till the end of the series, in my opinion. Um, and you get you get a lot of Han and Leia and and Luke, um, which we yeah. t- I remember talking about this. You know, last year when we did New Jedi Order. At this point in the Star Wars uh, Legends canon, I feel like it's at its strongest when it doesn't do Han, Luke, and Leia. Uh, that always seems to be the weakest part of these stories. I will say I do feel like Han, Luke, and Leia, I, I enjoyed them a tiny bit more, I think, in Legacy of the Force than I did in New Jedi Order. Um, but I still wanted yeah, more of – yeah, I just still wanted more of the young Jedi Knights. Um, and uh, – there's a lot of them just in the background of a lot of the books, but they don't get to be main players, which which kind of stinks. Yeah, I'm in the same place. I really wish that this had been a series that was very much about Jason turning dark and Jaina and his family figuring out what that means for them. And instead, it kind of became like an action-adventure sequence for Han and Leia in most books that ended with kind of a big family confrontation. But that kind of takes the ball out of the twins' court for a decent chunk of every book, and I, that's not what I'm here for. Um, I'm also just honestly, uh, there's a big part of this series that I think we need to mention, which is the fact that Boba Fett dominates three books of the series. (laughs) And so if we're talking about random original trilogy characters getting too much focus, oh my God, Karen Travis clearly had a plan, but there's a lot of Boba Fett in two books (laughs) that doesn't seem to have a lot of payoff till book eight. (laughs) No, you're right. Yeah. It's funny. um, I... I the I have a few copies of these books from like back in the day, um, but I wanted to reread Inferno, even though that wasn't originally on my list, um, because that is, you know, there's there's that epic confrontation where um, at this point he's Darth Kytus, right? Jason's fallen to the dark side and he captures his his cousin Ben Skywalker and is torturing him and Luke comes to the rescue and there's this big epic duel. 
Um, but what was cool is because I bought a new version of this, right? Like the, the Legends moniker version. There, at the back of the book, there was an interview with Aaron Alston, Karen Travis, and um, Troy Denning about the series, which was really cool. Like it was, it was neat reading some of their their answers to some of these questions. And Karen Travis was asked, like, you know, what's with Boba Fett, right? Because she's the only one that touches right. on him in the books. I, he, I think he's, I mean, he's he's obviously mentioned. He's he shows up a bit in the final book that Troy Denning writes because, like you said, Tyler, like he, he the payoff of his whole plot is really in in the the penultimate book, um, yeah. Revelation, where is where he trains Jaina. Um, but uh, Karen Travis said when she signed on, she asked if she could do Boba Fett because she was fascinated with Mandalorian culture and wanted to expound on that. And they were like, yeah, sure, go ahead. Um, so that was kind of what got her to do the series. And she had written um, a couple of uh, Republic Commando novels. Um, and she really like enjoyed exploring the story of Jango Fett through them, through his clones. So this was an opportunity for her to expand on the Mandalorian culture. And what was interesting, Tyler, what kind of grabbed me as I was, as I was reading her books specific and specifically the Boba Fett stories. Um, the one thing I'll say is again, in, in the context of the legend continuity. So again, speaking of everything prior to the Disney acquisition, um, much of Boba Fett's stories in, in the early legends days is he's, he's kind of a one dimensional, just killer, right? Like there's not much to yeah. him. He just, Takes contracts, captures people, kills people. He's very one-dimensional, very boring character. Um, but Karen Travis really makes him a flesh-and-blood character and really leans into stuff from the prequels, um, specifically Attack of the Clones. But what was what I what I found fascinating is now reading this now after three seasons of the Mandalorian TV show, there's so yeah. much about Mandalorian culture that is actually in the TV show. So the the main point of much of the Mandalorian culture is how big adoption is to them uh, and how much it is like they don't use the language of foundling, but it's the same concept is that Mandalorians yeah. aren't just. Um, a group of people with with particular blood in their veins. It's actually a culture, right? Anybody can become a Mandalorian. So I thought that was really neat that we kind of saw that translated into the TV series. Um, and as far as I know, Karen Travis is responsible for creating that. Um, I'm sure there if there are probably some legends gurus listening right now that maybe maybe actually say no. Actually, Carl, that was done beforehand. And if that's the case, please tell me. I'm totally open to it. But I don't recall anybody prior to Karen Travis kind of introducing those concepts. Um, but so to that point, Tyler, cause I, I know you loved book eight, uh, because that's very much a Jaina, Jaina story. Yeah. Um, what did you think of the Boba Fett stuff prior to that? Did you, did you feel like the payoff was worth it? Let me let, just to put it that way. I think that the pay, I think that book five earned itself, right? Book eight, I absolutely love. And in particular, I think it was very, very smart of Karen Travis to not just humanize Boba Fett, but do it by building kind of an erstwhile family around him, right? We, we meet his, his daughter who is, uh, and then his wife who has been like frozen in carbonite or something. It's, it's a complicated family drama. And I think that is what works and kind of sells it for me. And so for me, Book five, Sacrifice, I think works pretty well on its own and feeds into eight enough that I'm willing to go on the ride. Book two, before his daughter is really on the scene, I have a much harder time with. It kind of felt like he was just there to mess up Han Solo's plans, and I don't need 200 pages in my books to mess up Han Solo's plans. He can do <laughs> that himself just fine. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, but... 
when he is introduced in, in book two bloodlines, um, it's, it, it does feel a little bit campy because we eventually do get Han and Boba teaming up. So again, thinking of just, again, in the, in the context of 2006, this was something probably fans never would have thought would happen, but Boba Fett even lends Han Solo some Mandalorian armor. So Han, yeah. Han and Boba are running around together to assassinate his cousin Thrak and Sail Solo. Um, so, I mean, I just, I got such a kick which, out of that. by the way, is this perfect callback to the Corellian trilogy, which is how we started this whole conversation. Right. It finally wraps up that character that was introduced in those books. Yeah. <laughs> um... Yeah, and a character that I clearly, I mean, I, I, I've really only ever met him in this series because, um, like I said, I've never read that that Corellian trilogy, and I, I, I'm blanking on the author of. I think it's like Rebecca McIntyre, I want to say, but I could be wrong. I could be way wrong yeah, about I that. I don't know. <laughs> I don't either, and I don't have the book nearby. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I think uh, Boba Fett has a lot of interesting things that happen with him. Again, I think he's really humanized by learning that. You know, he's his his former wife is still alive. And I believe that was a character introduced in the comic books. Um, And he learns that he has a granddaughter. So, again, there's a lot of humanizing of him. But I think the primary plot for Boba Fett in the series is him assuming the role of Mandalore, right? Ruling the planet and taking responsibility for something beyond just himself. And I think that's really where his character development goes and is. Uh, as much as it's not necessarily my favorite part of this series, I at least appreciate that Karen Travis really makes takes this character that had for a long time been one dimensional and given him three dimensions. I think that's the best thing about his story to me. Uh, Absolutely. And I found it really compelling in the last of the Karen Travis books. So I guess that is revelation. Um, she does just a really excellent job of making Boba Fett's choice of how to have Mandalorian culture move forward feel really kind of weighty, even though it was introduced like 20 pages ago. Um, And in particular, there's actually a really fun cliffhanger at the end of these books in that the Mandalorians are building a bunch of Beskar-infused indestructible starfighters that, as far as I'm aware, we never find out what happens with those in Legends canon. So, uh, it's a brief plot, but it works for me, I think, overall. Yeah. It, well, and I, I think, like you insinuated at the start of the episode, Tyler, uh, you never finished the Fate of the Jedi series, which is the, the final yep. series after this one. And I've never read any of them. So unless they show up there, yeah, that very well may be a plot point that goes nowhere. Um, but to that end, it was interesting that in throughout the Legacy of the Force series with the Mandalorian stuff – um, they find an old Beskar mine in the depths of the planet that they're able to now start mining and, and selling for profit. But also in one of the, I think it's in Sacrifice, so the fifth book, where where they find that Beskar mine. And Boba Fett, we finally learned his armor prior to this, at least in the Legends canon, was all Dura steel, um, and he upgrades it to Beskar. So technically, in the Legends canon, Boba Fett is wearing Durasteel in Empire Strikes Back, not Beskar. <laughs> um, so I thought that was interesting, that Boba Fett finally gets Beskar in this series. Um, yeah, I was not someone who had read all of the old like Bounty Hunters books, so I was not super familiar with what of you know, what um, the Mandalorian was doing was, you know, cut from whole cloth and how much of it was borrowed from Legends. And I was shocked reading this section, just how much overlap there was between the two canons in terms of Mandalorian culture. 
Yeah. And that makes me curious. I mean, I, I would be very suspect that John Favreau visited this stuff. That's just to seem his jam. But again, that's maybe something where Filoni might have piped in. Um, I get the impression that Filoni read everything. <laughs> like he's just that type of fan. Um, but uh, yeah, I've never met the man, but he seems very knowledgeable. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, you know, anyway, I mean, I think, I th- you know, like you, you've already indicated Tyler that when this series seems to work best is when it really focuses in kind of that family drama that, that exists between the Skywalkers and solos. And it doesn't last the whole series. They obviously make amends, around everything going on with Jason. Um, But I think what I appreciated about Legacy of the Force is, again, it kind of continues the whole idea that George Lucas always had, that the the story of Star Wars was a a family soap opera. I mean, he's been on multiple interviews where he he makes that claim. Um, and, And I think Legacy of the Force really leans into that in a way that New Jedi Order didn't necessarily do in the same way. I mean, I, again, still think New Jedi Order is a far superior series. Um, but New Jedi Order was more about expanding the world of Star Wars, um, letting letting the uh, the alliance, the galactic alliance, whatever you want to call it, go up against something besides Imperial Remnants. Um, I think it really sh- sh- shook that up. It really challenged the Jedi Order Luke was ex- was creating and, you know, what's that going to look like? But Legacy of the Force really does lean into, you know, kind of this conflict between family members. And, and you get that in the early books between um, Han and Luke primarily. I think Leia, yeah. again, Leia is a character that's always, I mean, again, I, I, I don't know every single Legends book, but I think something that's very clear in much of the Legends canon prior to Disney is that Leia is just not a very well-developed character. Um, and, and I think like her just kind of always going along with Han in this series kind of always puts her in the backseat. I mean, that's, that's one thing the sequel trilogy did an immensely better job with is, is Leia gets to be a badass the entire series. Um, yeah, I will, I will say, I think they reference this in either betrayal or bloodlines. I can't remember, but there is a good chunk of new Jedi order where it's very clear that Han is kind of like, I want nothing to do with this Jedi stuff. And Leia is very involved in the war due to Jedi stuff. And so there's a moment, I forget if it was in book one or book two of, of legacy of the force, but there is a really great moment where Leia kind of like pulls Han aside and says like, you did the whole last war for me. I'm going to do this one for you. And that Mm. earned a lot of points for me to cover up what I completely agree with you is a flaw in the way that Leia is generally portrayed in legends canon overall. I just think they had a pretty good kind of loophole in this series in particular. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. Um, And, you know, it makes me curious. Uh, did, t- Tyler, did you actually did, have you ever read Claudia Gray's book Bloodline, which is in the New Legends canon? Yes, I have. It's a good one. It is a good one, and 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 kind of the central plot of that novel is you know the state of the Republic. It's becoming uh, the New Republic is kind of becoming splintered between essentially so sort of similar to this, right? Like a group that really wants a strong federal galactic republic and a more you know like again states rights types republic uh you know where planets govern themselves more do you remember in 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 that book bloodline where leia falls in that camp i i can't remember i feel like she's more of the the like large central government group if i I recall believe so simply because she helped found that government but i don't recall specifically okay because yeah i'm just just 
I'm trying to recall only for the sake of of this point that Leia obviously chooses in Legacy of the Force to align herself with Han and the Corellian movement, which is, again, kind of that more separatist, you know, planets should have the right to govern themselves, divorced from the Galactic Alliance. Um, yeah. But I think you you bring a, a far more interesting and important point, which is simply that Leia is making the point to Han that, you know, you went along with me. Now I'm going to go along with you. Um, and I will say something that ha- that is continually uh, well done, I would say, in Legacy of the Force is, is, is the way Han and Leia anchor one another, specifically yeah. Leia anchoring Han. Like Han is well aware throughout this series of kind of what a hot mess he is still even in his like 70s at this point in the in the series. But Leia yeah. is, is constantly the anchor that brings him home, right? Like in something we saw happen in New Jedi Order is kind of the 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 way that relationship changes after Chewbacca's death and, and how Leia has to help bring him back. And, you know, by the end of New Jedi Order, Leia is Han's co-pilot, both in life and in the Falcon. And she continues to be that in this series. Um, and there were a few points that I, I don't I don't remember exactly which novel it is. It might have been Bloodlines. Um and maybe sacrifice some more, but there are several lines in there where Han talks about like the Falcon is the the most true home he's ever had, and you know Leia is now an integral part of that. Um, so I I really appreciated yeah. that relationship dynamic. And I think Bloodlines is the book where this really comes into you know really great contrast because it is very much initially about Leia siding with Han in favor of Corellia, and then they arrive and find out how much of that is being. Dr- driven by his insane clone cousin Thraken. Uh, And so I think that that kind of moment where Han is sort of both in favor and not in favor of Corellia, I feel like is a really great way to crystallize that sort of like found family story that that they're telling here. I think it works really well personally. Yeah. Yeah. No, I do too. Um, Well, and then, so that makes me think like talking about the other big legacy character, of course, Luke Skywalker and, and seeing, you know, his relationship with Mara continue to be explored a bit in this series until of course she's, she's killed and sacrificed by, by Jason. Um, what do you think of Luke in this series? Uh, you know, both in general, or maybe even in, in relationship to what was done with him in new Jedi order that you can recall, does, does Luke work well for you? Is he a compelling character in here is, or, or, or what? I find that Luke's big moments work really well and then often get, like, cut off by the necessities of the plot, right? Mm. There are, like, two or three times in this series that Luke has a big final battle with someone who he believes has killed Mara, and then, like, the end of Episode 7 happens, where suddenly there's a giant rift in the ground in Kylo and... uh, Ray are, you know, a mile apart from each other and can't continue fighting. I think Luke has some really great moments and I think he works his his arc is obviously like it's it's designed to be a Luke arc. He loses his wife and potentially his son and his nephew is going dark and there's all of this stuff going on and yet every time that I want Luke to get like the big cathartic moment he can't kill Jason because we need him to go on or he can't kill uh, Alima because we need her to do something else later on in the series and so he feels like he has the most emotional arc in the series and also has the least to do plot wise and that's kind of a really weird place to leave a character Mm, yeah yeah I I like the way you put that. It's like, 
we take him to the mountaintop, but then we just leave the mountain, right? We don't see the come down. Yeah. We don't see, uh, we don't, we don't get to be in Luke's head a ton um, in this series. Uh, but I do think he's got some great moments. Um, yeah. You know, specifically one of my favorite moments is in the series is, is in the book sacrifice after Mara is killed and, and Luke feels like his whole world has ended. And I think it's, it's really yeah. well written in the way he starts losing himself in his grief. There's a beautiful scene where Han and Leia call, because at this point in the series, like Han and Leia aren't really talking a ton to Luke, right? Cause they're on opposite sides of yeah. this, of this emerging war. But they reach out to him and, uh, you know, Lay is offering words of comfort and Han's line is simply, don't worry, hang in there, pal, we'll be there soon. Like, it's just this really beautiful moment of like, of course, they come back together in this moment of Luke's grief. It's a it's a really beautiful brief moment, but a reminder of of the 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 lovability of of these three characters Um, and specifically in, in, in Inferno, the book that picks up right after Mara is killed. You know, we see Luke kind of withdrawing himself. You know, we we see hints of what they're going to, you know, Ryan Johnson's going to kind of take and run with for Last Jedi, right? This idea that Luke faces a yeah. terrible tragedy and kind of retreats into himself um, and, and kind of the dangers of that for Luke. Um, but there's a point in Sacrifice, and I wanted to ask you, I don't know if you'll remember this moment specifically, Tyler, but I wanted to get your opinion on it. It's, it's when... Uh, Luke Luke learns that Mara's been killed. He starts to investigate yep. and right and um, uh, shoot, I am blanking on the Sith lady's name. Lumia, Luma, yeah, or Lumia, Lumia, Lumia. I don't know how to say it. Um, Neither. Yeah, she is. She's kind of indicated that the, she's the one who did it, and uh, yep. that's and and she she knows Luke's going to come after her and probably kill her, but she you know she's con- she's convicted that Jason Solo must be the next Sith so she'll she's willing to take one for the team yeah. um but when there's this brief moment where Luke understands again it's kind of one of these brief moments where we actually get to be inside the head of Luke um Luke f- kind of comes to this realization that he needs to be that that farm boy he was back in the day who jumped at the call of action you know not to be afraid to dive in and the way he make sense of this is it's my job to go find Lumaya and put her, put her down. Right. Yeah. And that felt, I don't know, like it now, you know, now with the sequel trilogy having now existed and, and also just even reflecting on the choices Luke makes in return of the Jedi, that still feels like a little out of character. Like this is a series that takes place, you know, 35, 40 years after a new hope. And he comes to this conclusion that he has to be, the warrior killer like that, that still seems a little out of place to me. Like Luke kind of equates revenge as his way of being the hero. And of course, then he finds Lumaya and cuts her head off. (laughs) Um, I think you are a hundred percent correct. It is very out of character for Luke. And I will only justify it by saying people do a lot of out of character things when their wife has just died. That's a great point. Yeah, that's a, yeah, good point. Um, and, and I think for me, that moment on its own, I would be with you. If it was just Luke decides to go vengeful, does something evil, and then the story is kind of about, like, how does he feel about it? Like, that plot could work, but I don't know if it is earned here. But I think the twist that we get makes it work, which is that by the end of the book, Luke does not know who killed Mara, but he knows it was not Lumia. And so mm-hmm. I think that is like the gut punch that makes it worth 
him acting, I agree, out of character, but probably justifiably out of character. Yeah, and that's a and that's a great point you bring up too, Tyler, is because after he does, by the end of that book, even he realizes she wasn't the one responsible. The amount yeah, of- Ben, I think, gives him a timeline of when Mara died, and it doesn't match up. He was with Lumaya at the time, right? <laughs> and 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 then he takes that added guilt of because he does then starts to reflect on. Yep. Did I kind of just commit murder? <laughs> you know, she wasn't and, responsible. And I think the next book, um, Inferno, is when we get kind of the darkest of the dark Jason moments. And it's worth noting that because of this, uh, Luke is very passive for most of that book because I think he's still recovering from having acted too quickly. And it, it kind of serves, I think, very effectively to remove him from the game without needing him to be like dead or injured uh, in a way that otherwise I think would feel really forced to have Luke just vanish the book uh, after his, his wife passes. Right? You needed to have him not on the hunt immediately. And this works really well as a, as a plot reason for that to happen. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Um, and and uh, it, I think some of my favorite Luke moments, too, beyond everything around Mara is his his evolving relationship with his son, Ben, throughout the series. Yeah. Um, they, of course, start very constrained. And I think, you know, and I think that's this is a character worth looking into as well. <laughs> you know, next is I think Ben Skywalker is to me, at least from what I just recently reread, I found him to be the most compelling character in the series. He gets the the clearest arc, and maybe part of that is because he's young, so it's easier to do that. It's kind of a coming of age story for him, um, yeah. where he, you know, as the series begins, he is in complete adoration of his of his cousin Jason, and he is he's Jason's apprentice, even though it's unofficial, but he's basically Jason's apprentice. Um, you know, Jason can do no wrong. He joins the secret police. You know, he's willing to do all these kind of shady things uh, that, you know, both Mara and Luke are very wary of. Um, yeah. And uh, I think, you know, there, there's a lot there's a lot between Ben and Jason in the early books that remind me of a little bit of Palpatine and Anakin and in, in the prequels insofar as, you know, Jason is well aware that he needs to make sure he separates Ben from his other support network, which is basically Luke and Mara. Um, in the same way that Palpatine knows that in order to corrupt Anakin, he's got to get him away from Padme and Obi-Wan. Um, and, and I think we, and once Ben becomes aware that that's what's happening, that he's actually being manipulated, he's being played and in the you know the first big thing to really shake Ben's confidence in Jason is when Jason uses the force to to torture uh Boba Fett's granddaughter to death you know and 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 Ben is so taken aback by that but Ben also develops this really beautiful relationship with uh, uh I say Shivu or Shevu uh it's one of the secret police officers that also starts to become wary of Jason and basically becomes a spy for for uh for Ben and uh, by extension Luke <laughs> um, by the end of the series. Um, and, and I really like Ben's relationship with, with Shevu and, and yeah. the way Ben, like we learn that Ben becomes kind of this hardened adult by the experience. He's only, I think he's only like 14 in the series, 14, 15 years yeah. old. So he's very young. Um, and, but we see him go from kind of this, a adoring young person into kind of this kind of hard uh, young man who also really wants to 
under uncover the truth about what's going on with Jason. And, and he's got he's got a great moment with with Mara in in sacrifice when he goes to Mara to tell her, listen, yep. I know Jason is under the influence of Lumaya. I, I don't know what his motives are, but I think he might, you know, he might be falling to the dark side. Um, and he has this beautiful moment with Mara and, and, and it's just really good. And, um, sorry, now I'm just kind of like all over the place, but it, I just, no, wanna, you're good. <laughs> just want to make sure I mention it now when Mara dies, right? Like, uh, her body doesn't disappear into the force right away. And Ben and Luke are kind of curious, like, why is she still here? And then, you know, it quickly becomes apparent. Well, oh, she's keeping her body here so that we can autopsy it try to figure out as many clues as possible um but when she yeah. finally does become one with the force uh which is in inferno inferno ends with this really beautiful moment where luke and ben are on endor and uh ben wakes up to hear luke talking to somebody and he knows that it's the force ghost of mara it's just this really beautiful moment and and Ben also encounters Mara as a force ghost before Luke does as well. And he shares this yep. this beautiful moment with Luke as well. So it, there is a lot of really good, like you said, family dynamic in this series. Yeah, I think I really loved Ben's arc overall. I think it worked really effectively. My only concern about it is that Ben kind of isn't really a character in New Jedi Order. And so he's a character who is really ill-defined and then immediately gets thrown into like being separated from his family and being turned to the dark side and all of these things. And I don't know, I feel like I need to get to know a character a little better before I can see them in that hot of water and know what of it is stress and what of it is just Ben. And so I had a really hard time with him for the first like three, four books until I really got a better feel for where he was at. But I think by the time you get to sacrifice and, and those moments you're mentioning, you're right. Absolutely gorgeous. I think he works. Um, but I don't know. The, the winning over of Ben to the dark side did not seem as effective to me as, as it easily could have been. I think uh, the, the Anakin-Palpatine parallel you drew is correct, and I think George Lucas did it better, and that means I'm complimenting the prequels, which is not a great sign for the quality of a book. <laughs> so to our regular listeners, Tyler is not like Jason and I as diehard prequel fans, but that's okay, Tyler. We forgive you. That's um, reasonable, yeah. <laughs> um, but... Uh, no, that, I think that's a really that's a really valid point because I mean we essentially see Ben born in the New Jedi Order, right? He's basically yep. an infant, um, so yeah, there's not much development to him. And I, and I will say that is uh, in I think you know next next May, so May of 2024, uh, it would make sense for me to then read the Fate of the Jedi series. Um, but the thing is, I don't have the advantage of drawing on you to ask what are the few books of the, because I think that's also a nine book series. You know, I don't necessarily want to read all nine books, but, but I will say the thing that makes me most curious about reading it is just the relationship of Ben and Luke. Um, and, and I know that's that, the focus, at least of the first book. So if you're cool. interested, that may be the way to go. That's yeah. And that's, and that's great. Cause like, uh, right. And then, and there are things that happen specifically, they start in book eight, but really get introduced in book nine, um, you know, with with uh, Admiral Dalla coming back to the scene. And she's, you know, the series ends with her kind of being appointed the head of the new Galactic Alliance. And there's several moments with her 
talking about how she thinks the Jedi are the problem, right? Like they're, they're kind yeah. of at the heart of the cycle of war that's existed for, for much of, you know, the history of the, of the galaxy. So it sets up what is going to be the main plot of at least what kicks off the fate of the Jedi series, which is essentially she outlaws the Jedi and holds Luke responsible for Jason falling to the dark side and, and creating the civil war. Um, so I'm, I'd be curious to see, you know, where that story goes. And then another another plot thing that's introduced in Legacy of the Force that clearly is going to get picked up in, in fate of the fate of the Jedi um, is when uh, Alima goes on kind of her side quest and stumbles across this, you know, band of Sith. Right. And uh, they're hiding off in the unknown regions. Um, and I know they become a big part of the fate of the Jedi series as well. Um, so these are there are things that clearly they were setting up in by the end of this to, to, to continue a story. Um, but yeah, you know, all that to say the thing that I am most interested in, in fate of the Jedi is just the dynamic of Ben and Luke and, and, and how they face down, you know, how the galaxy is going to continue to see the Jedi, um, yeah. moving forward. I think a big part of the reason why I am slightly less enthusiastic about the Ben and Luke relationship than you is not because I am unenthusiastic about it, but rather because when Ben moves away from being Jason's apprentice, we get Tahiri as Jason's apprentice. And having both loved that character from my childhood and the New Jedi Order read, that was just a win in my book. I was much more fascinated by... uh, grieving tempted to than i was by ben who you know he's he's 14 and he's kind of a blank slate he's he's he tips who to whoever is talking to him most recently sometimes is the way that that weather vane works <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah um and actually you know i i really enjoy Tahiri as well um and the one the the i think it's a it's a two two-parter in new Jedi order that I still have never read in my entire life. It's because it, it's, it's earlier in the series, but it's the story where Tahiri gets captured by the Eugen Vong and Anakin solo goes to rescue her. Um, yeah. I, I, I still feel like even though, you know, uh, it was a, a, you know, a little bit ago when I did new Jedi order, I kind of just want to go and read those two books though, just cause I really liked, cause I really liked the dynamic between Anakin and Tahiri and star by star. Um, and of course, that comes up quite a bit in Legacy of the Force as, as Jason is kind of – as he realizes that he's lost Ben as an apprentice and he starts to recruit Tahiri, um, he does this – and, and this, this is actually a great segue into some another big concept in this series that we should talk about, Tyler, which is this whole concept of flow walking. Jason yeah. has this ability in the, floor, the Force where he can go back into the past. Um, and he does this several times early in the series to – to go back to when Anakin falls to the dark side and he watches Anakin in the Jedi temple doing order 66. And he, in the whole point of this is for Jason to, to, in his own mind, justify why it's okay for him to go to the dark side. Anakin did it for selfish reasons, right? Like simply to protect Padme and Jason's understanding of it is I'm doing it to protect the whole galaxy, right? There's too much war. War seems to be a, Again, an endless cycle. So I'm going to stop it by becoming a Sith. That's my destiny. I'm going to, you know, to use the language of Kylo Ren, if you will, I will finish what you started. But in his way, I'll perfect it because it's not about me is the way Jason kind of sees his path. Um, but yep. all this flow walking stuff, right? He uses this with Tahiri to take her back to that moment in Star by Star when Anakin dies and 
you know, I, in that in that moment in the book, Tahiri becomes really upset with herself that she never told Anakin exactly how she felt it or gave him a kiss goodbye before he goes off to be, you know, be this in this heroic epic moment. Yeah. Um, so Jason gives her that ability to go back and do it. Right. It's just it's just a way of manipulating her, of course. But um, all that to say, like this whole idea of flow walking again, being able to go back into the past. And it's we're told that he can also go into the future, but he chooses not to, which is interesting and odd. What did you think of the whole, this whole concept of flow walking and, and what that kind of does with the idea of the force? Yeah, I will say this is a concept that is introduced a bit in the second and third of the dark nest trilogy. We do okay. see Jason flow walk once or twice in that trilogy. Um, the interesting thing I find about flow walking is one, anytime you get time travel, the fascinating question is how true is it, right? And when you're looking at the past, that answer is easy. But when you're looking at the future, that gets a lot trickier. And so there's a part of me that has always kind of looked at this and said, like, I don't really love time travel in general. I de- definitely don't want time travel in my Star Wars very often. Like, I'm kind of on the fence about this at best. Um, The one thing that I think works really, really well is there's kind of like hints throughout all of these books that Flow Walker could in theory interact with or even potentially change something about either the past or future. I think in the Dark Nest trilogy, we see uh, at one point Jason gives himself information in the past that he uses to do something in the future. And that was the moment that I think worked really well for me when Tahiri was um, kind of going back in time and seeing when Anakin passed is she was very much saying like, not only did I wish I could have kissed him then she was saying, I want to kiss him now. And uh, that was a really interesting debate trying to figure out exactly how powerful is this idea. But in general, I am anti time travel in my star Wars. Agreed. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's funny. Um, I mean, I don't know if it's, it's an exact parallel, but I feel like the closest thing that we have in, you know, in new canon to this whole idea of flow walking would maybe be the world between worlds, which is introduced yep. in Rebels. Um, and, and I still hate world between worlds. I just think it it's stupid. <laughs> um, and I know there are a lot of people that love it and have great explanations as to why. Just in my opinion, it's it's stupid. It doesn't work. It's it's it, never bothered me, but it's not my favorite. Yeah, it. it this is Filoni at his worst, in my opinion, and that we get a lot of bad Filoni over the years, which is why I'm really apprehensive about Ahsoka. Uh, um, but it's Filoni sometimes delves too deep into fantasy, and Star Wars is space fantasy. It's 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 this weird subgenre that I don't think is fantasy, and I think sometimes Filoni goes too far. And World Between Worlds to me is the encapsulation of that. Again, that's my opinion. No no shade at anybody who enjoys it, and I wish I could enjoy it more because uh, it's it's. I think it's a pretty important concept in Star Wars now. I just I just don't buy it. Um, but flow walking felt similar to me. Like, I just don't like this idea of time travel. Um, it just, I don't know, it just seems odd to me. Um, but the way it felt early in Legacy of the Force, it, again, like I said, you know, it's, it's mostly about Jason being able to go back to observe Anakin's actions in Episode 3. Um, it, it really felt like, again, it was, it was riding the high of episode three that had just come out, right? It was, it was yeah. a way of identifying these characters. Um, but, uh, to that end, I, you know, I think, uh, we can't, we can't finish talking about legacy of the force without talking specifically about Jason and Jaina. Um, but Jason is clearly 
the main character, I would argue, of the whole series and, you know, his his path to the dark side and becoming Darth Kytus, which, uh, of course, fun side note, his his Sith name was voted on by fans, which is still really cool. They ran a poll back in, I think, Star Wars Insider and Star Wars dot com back in like 2005, where vo- where people got to vote on, you know, a potential name for for Jason Sith name. And Kytus was what was was chosen, which I still think is just a really cool way of bringing fan participation yeah. into Star Wars. Um, but that said, uh, I think, um, I get what they did with it. I still don't love it. So, so Jason's primary purpose that he, he says for much of the beginning is, you know, I want to keep the galaxy safe. I want to stop this cycle of war and I'm willing to be the unpopular one making unpopular choices to do it. But then as it goes on, it's really about. Well, I'm doing it because I have a secret daughter with my you – know, well, they're not married, but like with Tanel Ka. Um, and uh, their daughter's name is Alana, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, so by the end of the series, you know, it's very clear that uh, at the end of the day, I'm doing this to protect Tanel Ka and Alana, um, which in a weird way is like, okay, so that is the same thing as Anakin with Padme, <laughs> you know, in some ways. Yeah. Uh, but uh, Jason was – kind of always my favorite character in, in new Jedi order. And I, my, and the thing I loved most about Jason is his way of approaching the force and the Jedi. Like I appreciated him being reluctant, especially like in vector vector prime is probably one of the best star Wars books I've ever read period. Um, and, uh, you know, his, his whole debates in that with Luke is ultimately around what is the role of the Jedi. And, and for Jason, it's not to be a tool of government. It's really to be these kind of mystical explorers and New Jedi Order ends with Jason kind of being quested, if you will, by Luke. Like, Jason, I trust you. Like, you've you've learned so many things through your horrible encounters with the Yuuzhan Vong, through your time with Verger. Um, you know, I quest you with going and learning more about the Force and bringing it back to us. Um, is that a lot of what Dark Nest is about, Tyler? Or not really? Uh, yes. A big chunk of Dark Nest is kind of dedicated to where in the world has Jason been for the last eight years? That is kind of the big question. And it's still an open question as late as uh, Legacy of the Force is what the or no, the next one is Fate of the Jedi. Uh, that is actually what Ben and Luke kind of quest off in the first book to do is track down who did Jason learn from in that eight-year gap and Mm. what led him astray. Um, Another big part that I think is directly related to this in the Dark Nest trilogy is the revelation that Verger is a Sith. And I think that very much colors the way that we can kind of compare early Anakin in New Jedi Order to early Anakin in Legacy of the Force, because I think what Verger did is very much opened Anakin up to the kind of... You mean Jason, uh, right? Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. opened Jason up to um, the, the kind of idea of basically anything is okay if it achieves the good goal that you are working towards. And I think that that is something that Jason would not have accepted at the beginning of New Jedi Order, but in kind of looking for openness in other places, he's kind of left himself vulnerable. I find that to be a very convincing reason for someone to kind of accidentally justify falling to the dark side. I just really did not need five books of it. I would have been really cool with like one and a half. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and and I think that's the thing where these these later series just get a little carried away they get they get 
a story that might be fun and ex- exciting to explore, but they just make it too big. Um, yeah. and, and to be fair, you know, we were talking, you know, one time after I'd finished reading them, Tyler, uh, where, you, you know, you made a great point about with new Jedi order while it is 19 books still, I mean, I think we both agree that's still more than it needs to be, but you made a great point that there are several books though in, in new Jedi order that like branch out and tell different character stories. Right? I mean, like dark journey yeah. trader. These are, I mean, dark journey is a, a that's a Jaina story trader. That's a Jason story, but then you get these, you know, these couple books towards the end of the series that are wedge stories, right? Like, so you get these kind of branch out stories that all loop back in. Um, you don't yeah. really have that with Legacy of the Force. It's kind of a more through line story. And, and, and weirdly, as a result, some of the side characters you may have wished you could have explored more don't just don't get that opportunity. And also at least one main character. If we're talking about Jason, we also have to mention the fact that how in the world is Jaina Solo not one of the main characters in this series? It yes. doesn't make sense. Yeah, I think that's the biggest sin of Legacy of the Force is that Jaina is very much kind of exists in the background really until Revelation, which is book eight. <laughs> yeah. Um, she, she has a decent role in, in number seven, Fury. But even then, it's mostly kind of action star more than actual character. Yeah. Yep. I would. Yeah. And, 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 and even in the books, you know, prior where she is like where she starts having conflict with Jason, you know, where he orders her to shoot on, uh, I think this isn't, I think this is in sacrifice. He orders her to fire on like a retreating fighter and she refuses to. So then Jason, you know, court marshals her and stuff like that. You know, we don't, we just don't get much with her. It's, it's always like from Jason's perspective, um, yeah, there is actually a really fascinating Jaina relationship plot line in this book where she starts like having a uh, mind meld from Dark Nest with Zek and like almost entering a weird relationship with him while Jag shows up at the same time. And I think it's a really effective little like love story that is weirdly all told from Leia's upset mom perspective for the first two books. And it just <laughs> doesn't work as well as it would have if we could have seen the characters go through it. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Uh, um yeah, uh, I, I will th- there. I think it's in in the final book, Invincible. The book opens with Jaina and Leia kind of having an adventure on Coruscant together, um, yeah. which I will say, like, I, I enjoyed that. It, much of Invincible reminded me of like, this is clearly the last book of the series, right? Like it, it's kind of high yeah. adventure at the beginning, high adventure at the expense of character development more often than not. Um, but it is fun. And I, and I, I will say that unifying force, the final book of, of the new Jedi order also had a, a similar feel to that, right? It's the galaxy coming together. It's this high adventure story. Um, and I, I think final books of big series deserve, like they, they've earned that. They've earned that, yeah. that, 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 that sidebar for adventure. That's very much what rise of Skywalker is, right? We get, we get a lot of side adventures just for the point of saying, Hey, remember star Wars is a serial and it's fun. And that's yeah. what episode nine really felt like. Um, but uh, yeah, it, so I, I think like some final points about Jason, cause I, we, we definitely need to talk about Jaina. Um, I think so. The thing that like, again, I understand what they did with Jason's character here. But because I found him to be the most compelling character from New Jedi Order, I didn't like that his story ultimately just became, well, he falls to the dark side. Yeah. Um, and and I remember asking you because 
the whole reason I was going to even try reading Dark Nest was I asked you, you know, oh, is that where like he develops a relation with relationship with Tenelka? And you're like, not really. Like that's just kind of developed off screen. <laughs> yeah. um, and I think that's so stupid. Like why would if that's really what's kind of driving Jason at, at his core? Right. Like, again, he kind of has his surface reasons of I'm doing this for the good of galaxy. But as we kind of delve deeper into why he's really going this route, you know, he, he likes to keep bringing up inside himself. Well, I'm doing this for Tenelka and Alana. But it's like you never even gave us that relationship. So I think that's just really bad storytelling. Well, I think some of it, too, potentially is Jason being an unreliable narrator, right? Mm. He is the one who keeps telling Good us point. that Alana is his reason. But I forget which book it is. It's it's either Fury or Inferno. Or it can't be Inferno. One of these books, Jason kidnaps Alana and, like, threatens to destroy the Hapen fleet if they don't join his side. Like, it is very clear that Alana is not his actual motivation for going to the dark side. It's just the justification he's been giving himself for why he's better than his grandfather. And so mm. I think there's, I think you're right to say that it, it's... It's not completely satisfying, especially if you take Jason at his word. But to some degree, this is a story about... I, I think there is a mystery around why he fell to the dark side, because none of the reasons he gives completely hold water. Yeah. <laughs> so true. Um, yep. And that's... And that's... I still think... Like, I think... While there's a lot of, again, this, this series certainly has a lot of enjoyability to it. I don't know if that's a real word. Um, I'll take it. Yeah. I think uh, that is one of the biggest detriments to the series is that I just, I just never fully understand why Jason's doing what he's doing. Yeah. Um, and, and again, I think it's, again, we're, we're being told, but it's just, it's like, it's just very surface level storytelling. It's like, here's why, like, he's doing it for these reasons, but it's like, I don't know, Jason felt like such a flushed out character. And now he just seems very cardboard cut out. I, I think uh, this is my problem in general with making villains, the, the protagonist of plots is you've either got to go like the mad men breaking bad. This is a good person. And then let's see how bad they can get before you give up on them route. That can work. Or you can do like the one-off like Thanos in, in Endgame, right? You get to see uh, why he chose to do what he did, and then he goes away. But I don't really see a viable example in history of a show or a movie or a book that said, okay, we're going to put you in the head of the bad guy, and we're going to leave you there for like six seasons. And I think that's to some degree the problem here is you you both want jason to be a relatable character with motives you understand and you want him to do horrible things to make him fit as a sith and i don't think you can do those two things at once all the time mm -hmm. yeah yeah and and you're right because there there there's severances as the book goes on of just hey look at he's becoming his grandfather right and even his own troopers start kind of acknowledging that they're like wow he really seems like he wants to be darth vader um, in Fury, he force chokes someone and has that yes. revelation about himself. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And and then he becomes like the talk of the fleet. Like, don't piss him off or he'll kill you. Um, you know, and uh, yeah, he just he just kind of keeps going down this this rabbit hole um, of, of it, why. Yeah, go ahead. It, it reminds me of imagine if Breaking Bad 
uh, sorry to spoil this show for those of you who have not seen it like 10 years after it came out. Uh, but imagine that if Breaking Bad, Walt had done some of the horrible things he does in season six in season two. Like, I think I would have given up on him by the time season four rolled around. And that's kind of how Jason feels in this series. He murders his aunt in book five, and we're supposed to treat him like a protagonist for the next four books. And I'm sorry, that's just a little too ick for me. Yeah. <laughs> yep. And then in book six, he tortures his cousin. So Yeah. Like, it, yeah. it's not who I want to be, the head I'm in all of the time. And so I think that's where I get lost, is I'm like, I think Jason is a really fascinating, compelling character, but not when he goes crazy because I don't really feel that compelled by crazy characters. Yeah. Yeah. And, and well, I, w- I do remember you and I having this conversation right as, right, I think it was like right before I started my, my, my read through this, this may. Um, and I kind of remember saying to you like, Oh, you know, the, the thing I remember, and again, I, I hadn't read the series in about 10 years, but I was like, you know, the thing that never just rang true to me was Jason's whole reason for falling. But a point you made to me, which they do bring up a little bit later in the series, which is salient is his time, you know, captured by the Yuzhan Vong and his, and his relationship with Verger. Um, and you know, you, you made this point to me, even then you're like, you know, that really broke him. He be, he becomes a different character in that moment. And that's something that's introduced later in the series. Um, both in sacrifice and then even invincible when, when Jane is having conversations with Luke about, you know, she's convinced she has to be the one to confront him and, and probably, you know, I mean, she goes into it hoping to capture him, but also understanding she may have to destroy him. Um, and you know, she has this conversation with Han and Leia. She has this conversation with Luke and they all kind of reflect back to her that Jason got broken, that your brother was essentially destroyed by the Yuzhan Vong, who he is now is just a shell of a person, right? And and I do think that there is some viability to that element of his story. That that if you read Traitor, and and this is all a point of like why he's even cho- chooses to torture Ben. I mean, he puts Ben literally in the embrace of pain, <laughs> um, and yeah. his whole his whole rationale to Ben is pain is the one truth of the galaxy and it can make you stronger because that's what it did for me, right? And and that's that's definitely the mind of a twisted, warped person, but. It does make sense considering the the experience that Jason himself had. So like that did break him and 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 makes him open to some craziness, if you will. Well, and I think it's the thing that we all do to some degree, right? We experience trauma and then we get over it and then we rationalize it and then we think, well, it's okay if other people go through that same trauma. And mm. and that's what Jason's doing, right? Yeah. He thinks I got better and what actually happened is he got broke and yeah, we pass that on. It, it's 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 very realistic. I think it works mm. as a character beat. It's it's just not something I'm super thrilled to dwell on from one of my protagonists. For sure. Yeah. Um. And and that's I, I like the way you put that, Tyler. Is it's it's it is just kind of the cycle of trauma that he's then handing on to the to the galaxy, really. Um. But you can't help but wonder, you know. After, say again. That's what Skywalkers do. Yeah, apparently it is. <laughs> um, and you can't help but wonder, though, you know, after that encounter, after that experience in captivity, you know, where where were the Jedi? Where was Luke? Where was the council to help, you know, provide yeah. Jason with some support? And because I, I don't recall that that ever happened. Um, so, yeah, not, not in an organized way, certainly. Yeah. Um, Quick sidebar. I want to. I just want to mention this quick before before we move to Jaina. Um, the Jedi 
just the just the role of the Jedi in this series. So there is an organized council at this point. Luke has put the council back together. That was that was obviously a point that was um, brought up throughout the New Jedi Order, right? It, in Vector Prime, the first book, you know, that's part of the debate going on between Luke and Jason is is should there be a Jedi Council? Jason's saying no. Luke is saying, well, yeah, like it's kind of always been done, but we can rethink it. Um, and by the end of the series, it's determined we will make a council, right? Um, and now we have one, and you know, we we see characters from Legends that we've known for years. You know, some big names, obviously Kyle Katarn from the Dark Forces games, um, Corin Horn from the Rogue Squadron series that people loved. But these are just very much background characters. They don't really have uh, much story points in the series, unfortunately. But they've rebuilt the Jedi Temple on Coruscant. Like it's right, that's where Jason's able to flow walk and see Order 66. Um, the Jedi just feel like they're always in the background of this series. Like they're always just like letting things happen and they're like, well, we shouldn't let this happen. But they don't really do anything, which maybe maybe that's on purpose, right? Maybe it's it's again, it this is this is a series coming right off the heat of of episode three. So maybe trying to show like the Jedi are kind of in this defunct place again, right? Like they're not, they're not really as effective as they think they are. What did you think? I think it's all- yeah. Go, go ahead. Okay. <laughs> no, I was, I was gonna gonna say, say what I, you think. <laughs> I think it is also worth noting that Jason is manipulating the situation expertly, right? He, hmm. he does a lot of work putting the Jedi order in positions where opposing him would create other problems for them. And so I think it's both them being defunct and Jason knowing exactly how to play the Jedi council as it is constituted, because it's basically exclusively people who raised him. So he's going to be pretty good at manipulating them. Good point. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, So yeah. And, and, and the, uh, the council kind of just, stays part of the galactic alliance you know i mean one thing they they determined by the you know towards the end of the series is that they need to stop jason um and conversely that's another i guess point jason comes to the conclusion i think in uh the sixth book which is uh inferno he comes to the conclusion that the only way for him to win the to ultimately win his complete victory is he has to kill luke um and but also being well aware that He's not quite there yet. And and that's the thing is there's several encounters between Luke and Jason later in the series where Luke just kind of owns Jason, <laughs> you know, when he gum, when he comes to rescue Ben in, in Inferno, it's, it's a very epic duel. Like it's like, man, I would have loved to, I think I'd love to see that on screen somewhere, but Luke comes and just basically beats the shit out of Jason <laughs> when he fights him. Um, yeah. And, uh, and then Ben is obviously so furious at Jason that he wants to kill him, but Luke won't let him. Um, you know, because again, this is Luke coming off of just killing um, Lumaya and and feeling this guilt of like, you know, we, we a Jedi should never kill out of anger or revenge. So that's why he pulls Ben back. You know, don't do it because that's that's what starts you falling to the dark side. Um, but yeah, Luke has a lot of epic moments. He he also uses um, Luke uh, does does the variability he does in and Last Jedi where he uh, um, by locates he shows up. Um, and makes Jason think he's fighting him when he's actually fighting Jaina and it really throws Jason off. So Luke definitely starts playing some head games with Jason by the end of the series, um, which I found pretty fascinating and somewhat similar to some of what Ryan Johnson brings in, in Last Jedi. Yeah, I mean, I find Luke works really well in this series, especially in terms of figuring out how he's going to interact with Jason. Um, 
the one thing that doesn't work for me is it takes him six books to say no to Jason. And once he gets there, you're right. He has some really great moments, but oh my God, Luke is wishy-washy for five books. <laughs> yeah. And I wonder if that's just be simply for the necessity of having to draw this book out or this series yeah. out so long, right? Like yeah. it's not so much a character flaw of Luke. It's, it's, it's a flaw of a too long series. Um, but, uh, but uh, let's let's talk about your your you know your favorite Star Wars character, Jaina Solo, and of course, like we've already mentioned, she's not really given a tremendous yeah. amount of development to later in the series. But I think my big my biggest question for you, Tyler, is ultimately you know in a way, Jaina's whole kind of driving force by the end of the book is is essentially she has to she has to be the one to confront Jason. And I think some interesting parallels to that is obviously looking back at New Jedi Order, right? That was one of the big prophecies of the Yuzhan Vong is that these twins would have to face each other. So it's kind yeah. of feeding into that prophecy. And it's also very return of the Jedi, right? Like Yoda and, and Obi-Wan telling Luke he has to confront Vader in order to complete his his path to 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 Jedi, to becoming a Jedi. Um, so Jaina's ultimately becomes this uh, this character set on the path of being the one who's going to have to answer the Darth Kytus problem. What do yeah. you think of that as kind of being her primary driving factor through the series? I think it works. And when you said you were talking about kind of a, a prophecy from New Jedi Order, I actually thought you were going to a different place. I, I think that's a really, you know, spot on thought about, you know, the, the Yuuzhan Vong and their idea of twins always going to battle and, you know, the winner emerging and shaping a society. Um, I immediately thought of the moment when uh, most of the young Jedi are made Jedi, when uh, Luke uh, bestows uh, the, the rank of Jedi Knight on, I think it's Tenelka, uh, Jason, Jaina, Lobaka, Tahiri, and maybe one or two other people. Um, and when he does so, he almost almost gets like you know taken over by the force it seems like and he declares that Jaina is the sword of the Jedi and there are a few really beautiful moments in this series where Jaina kind of contemplates what does it mean to be the sword of the Jedi and what kind of obligations come with that and I think by the end of the series she recognizes part of what that comes with is killing her brother and mm. that i found to be the most compelling part of of jaina's story my, my only real complaint about jaina's story in this series is that it basically only takes place over the last three books other than that she's a background character but in those three books she's amazing right she's interacting with jag and figuring out that relationship she is grappling with her own place in the jedi and why she has to do things that her uncle can't and uh it's it's just a really good place for that character to be i just wish we could have seen her for the previous three books because it would have been just as fascinating to see how she coped with her brother going dark as it was to see her kind of post cope yeah yeah, because and and especially if you're thinking about how compelling her story was in Dark Journey, right? Which which is the story where we're taken into her head. She is having to cope with the she's. I mean, she has seen her. She has her dead brother Anakin with her, and assumes Jason's also been killed, right? So that whole story in Dark Journey is about her coping, about her making sense of these tragedies. But like you said, we never really see her, especially early on 
coping or trying to make sense of what's going on with her brother. Um, but by the end of the series, uh, like, I mean, I know I mentioned this a little bit earl- earlier, but it really is, is it's just everybody, you know, she's talking to her parents about it. She's talking to Luke about it. And everybody's just kind of saying to her, Jason's gone, you know, and she comes to this place where yep. she feels that the most loving thing for her to do is to actually, uh, and this is this is my words. I'm not saying this is exactly what the story is telling us, but what I interpret it as Jaina sees putting Jason out of his misery is kind of the best thing to do, right? That her brother yeah. is gone. He is a shell of himself, right? The Yuzhan Vong took her brother away from her, regardless of whether he's physically still here. So to her, the greatest yeah. mercy to provide is to release him from this twisted existence, um, which again is yeah. is one of the most. No, go ahead. Sorry, I was just going to say one of the most beautiful moments directly related to that in this series is, I forget if it was in book nine or the end of book eight, but Leia basically gives permission to Jaina to kill Jason if she needs to. And it's just, it's a lovely scene because it's just, it's it's very well written of both of those characters kind of knowing what is being said and not wanting to come outright and say it. It, it was really well, effectively done. Mm, yeah, I I can't remember which book that is in either. It might have been at the beginning of the final book, um, yeah, probably in conjunction right. with that adventure she has with Leon Coruscant. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and 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 something that's consistent throughout the series, well, especially as it goes on later, um, even even before Han and Leia know that Jason is Darth Kytus, um, but once they're aware of just the path he's taken, they both have kind of written him off. Um, yeah. You know, which is a place that I mean, that's the place Han is at in Force Awakens with with Kylo, right? Like our son is gone. Yeah. He's 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 gone. Leia gets there at the end of episode eight, right? Like I used to think that there was hope, she tells Luke, but you know, now I know he's true now I know he's gone. You know, well no one's truly gone. Yay. Um but uh you know, but you're right, like Jaina does kind of get that that nod of approval from her her mentor type characters and her parents. Um yeah. You know, and and worth noting too that Jaina was Mara's apprentice at the start of New Jedi Order, right? So she has a special bond with Mara. So when Mara is killed, and again, nobody knows right away that it was Jason, but right, that's obviously going to play into her own emotions as well as once she's learned. So yes, her her aunt has been killed, but it's more than just her aunt. It's it's also yeah. her early mentor, um, in her path to becoming a Jedi. So that further contextualizes her own way of dealing with Jason as the story goes on. Um, and uh, yeah, so, I mean, it, it all just kind of comes to this head where they, you know, um, Jaina is trained by Boba Fett. Like we talked about in that second to last book revelation to be able to take down her brother, you know? Um, and that's really what it's, what it's all about. And uh their their final their final duel is I mean it's I think it's actually pretty well written I think Troy Denning does a pretty good job yeah. with it, um, and uh, it's it's very emotional I mean when 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 it ends and she's she has killed Jason there's this you know it's it's really well written that she's kind of cradling him in her in her arms his you know his dead body and Zek comes running up and she force pushes him away because she doesn't want anybody near her at the moment. Um, and then I think Han and Leia approach her and she lets them come and, you know, mourn with her. 
Um, it reminded me a lot of the end of uh, Return of the Jedi, where there is kind of a very distinct moment where it feels like Luke is no longer holding Vader and is holding his father. Mm. And I feel like that same moment happens here, where Jaina has very much told herself, this is Kytus, it is not Jason. And then suddenly the second he dies, oh no, it's Jason again. Yeah. And, and that reminds me, one of the things I loved in, in the final book, Invincible, is each chapter opens with a silly joke from, from Jason yeah. back in the Young Jedi Knight era. Um, and then we get this beautiful flashback scene um, in the final book, and uh, it's it's from an event in the New Jedi Order. And I don't know if this – I I don't remember if this is just lifted from something that actually happened in New Jedi Order or if maybe it was an ex- something Troy Denning chose to take some time with, but – um, Jaina is mourning the loss of somebody. I don't remember who it is, but Jason comes and just sits with her. Um, and it's this really beautiful memory she has of him of just being with her in her grief and that being enough for her. Like it's, it's a really beautifully written scene. Um, I'm pretty sure it was original. I don't remember. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised I, if it I, was pretty, pretty soon before. Um, and there's also several uh, flashbacks to when they dueled each other. And it, I think it's in the second book of the Young Jedi Knight series, Shadow Academy, where they're captured by the Dark Jedi and yep. uh, forced to fight each other. But they don't know they're fighting each other. Um, so there's some in, innuendos to that as well. But it's this beautiful – but I love this little flashback scene. And um, Jaina reflects right at the end of the series that you know, while – Jason has done some terrible things. She also sees it in a weird way as he has united the galaxy in a way that even the Yuzhan Vong war didn't do. Um, and it, it doesn't, it still, I mean, it rings a little hollow to me, to be honest, but I think it's an attempt maybe by the authors, but also, I mean, it could just getting into the head of Jane. It could just be her own attempt of just trying to make some sense of this tragedy. And if you think about it, that is, I mean, Star Wars, each tri- all the trilogies are are riddled with tragedies, and yet we always try to have these positive spins on things, right? Like we always kind of come out on top. That's kind of always the language of Star Wars is to come out hopeful. And so maybe it is that Jaina's providing that perspective as well. Is like while Jason did all these terrible things, there is at least this one thing that we can glean that was good is that he did provide this unity to the galaxy that it was in dire need of, um, yeah. and it took him weirdly becoming this hated villain to do it. Yeah, I don't think that character needed any redemption, but I just always thought he was the less good twin, so maybe I'm the wrong person to ask. <laughs> yeah, yeah, fair enough. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, you know, I think, I, I mean, I told you this a while ago, I have a stupid amount of notes on, on this series because I wrote a ton of notes as I was reading each book. Um, so there's a million other things I know we could discuss, but I feel like that's it's kind of the the I feel like those are all the big, the big things that are really worth noting. Um, yeah, I think you are aware that the full extent of my notes for today for book nine was <laughs> yeah. Jaina is rad AF. Yeah. So we've covered that. I think we're we're in a good place. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I loved that that note that you had written. Oh my gosh, that was cracking me up. Um, but yeah, you know, I, if if you're still with us at this point and you've never read this series. Um, you know, maybe go this is, it. did you say don't do it or go do it? Go do it. Yeah. Yeah. And just, you know, read a few of them. You don't have to read all of them. <laughs> um, but I do think, I do think there are a lot of really fun, exciting moments within this series. 
Um, And that's and honestly, like I am curious where fate of the Jedi goes because new Jedi order really felt like a whole new chapter in star Wars storytelling. Um, And again, whether or not it worked for you is, is purely subjective, but there's no debating that it took star Wars in a new direction, which was needed at that time in the legends canon, in my opinion. Um, Because every other story was like, hey, the Imperial Remnant, they're back. Oh, hey, the Imperial Remnant, they're back. (laughs) It was just becoming boring. Um, So at least it did something new. And then this just seems like it kind of was like, hey, let's take some tropes from Star Wars that we've seen a lot and just play them out with these new characters. So I think the plot wasn't particularly original, but there's still some really great character moments if you really love these characters. Um, and that's why I'm, I am genuinely really curious where the story goes with Fate of the Jedi, because I have no idea where it ends. Um, I have read Crucible, which is the final Legends canon book now, because, again, Disney was Disney acquired Star Wars, I think, within a year after Crucible's publication. Um, so, I mean, I know that there are several characters that obviously survived because I read that book. Um, but I, I am curious where Fate of the Jedi will go, because I think that has the potential to now go tell a new story. Um so, yeah, yeah, curious about visiting that probably next year. Um, I would be happy to join that journey with you. All right, sweet, good, because we'll need you back. Um, yeah, uh, oh, goodness, let me see. Um, yeah, no, I had listed a bunch of, like, my favorite moments down, but eh, I don't need to go through all of those. We're at an hour and a half. We've probably talked about yeah. all of them at this point. Yeah, we pretty much have. Yeah, it's, it's it, this was a this was a great conversation, and I'm I'm really glad you were you were willing to come back. Um, so to that end, Tyler, before we wrap this up, um, as I said at the beginning of the episode, you know, you and 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 our friend Greg um, have been doing a Wheel of Time podcast for what over a year now. Uh, just about a year. I think when I was on one year ago, I was talking about when the podcast starts right. soon. So we yeah. are just about at one year in. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, before we go, tell folks uh, about that endeavor. Absolutely. Uh, so the podcast is called Through the Glass Columns. It is a weekly Wheel of Time read-along podcast. So our main podcast, every week we read one to three chapters from the Wheel of Time. We discuss, we go over the plot, we give you all of the hints that you missed the first time around. And it's basically just a book club for a series of books that I know and love and my podcast host Greg knows absolutely nothing about. Um, That being said, I know a lot of you are probably not looking for a giant 15 book fantasy series. So let me instead pitch you on a few episodes that we have of Through the Glass Columns coming up in August. The second season of Amazon's Wheel of Time television show debuts on September 1st, and so we are going to be doing four special episodes recapping the first season of Amazon's Wheel of Time television show. If you want to catch up before the second season, if you're interested in just seeing the show for the first time before it premieres, we hope that we can be a really great place. And if you like listening to our rewatches, maybe the reread is also for you. Um, So once again, that is Through the Glass Columns. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, other places at Through the Glass Columns. And if you look for us on social media, my co-host Greg will get you set up with all of the great ways to find us, which is basically everywhere you get podcasts. So please join <laughs> us if you're interested in fantasy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, and, um, you know, unfortunately for me, the books are just something I can't get into, um, which we are long. They are long. Um, but I did love watching the first season with you. I'm excited for season two. Um, excited to revisit season one uh, by the end of the summer. 
um, probably with you as well. <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, I, and look forward to those episodes. I, I mean, since I haven't been able to listen to the book ones, cause I don't know what's going on. I am looking forward to, to listen to you guys talk about the show. Um, and uh, Carl, we are trying to convince to come on through the glass columns to talk about the show. So if you're just a wild <laughs> Carl fan, he's also a good reason to come and listen. Uh, yeah. Well, I'm sure there's at least three of them out there, Tyler. Um, everybody else is here for Jason. Um, who of course wasn't here, but, uh, uh, yeah, uh, well, we're excited, um, because in two weeks, so the, no new episode next week. Um, but in two weeks we are going to be joined by Tyler's, uh, spouse, Stefan, uh, Steph <laughs> to talk about Thrawn. Uh, Steph is the biggest Thrawn fan I've ever met. Um, she's also the coolest Thrawn fan I've ever met. Um, and it's cool because right, Tyler, we talk about this all the time. You know, when you two met, you were the star Wars fan and now Steph is a way bigger star Wars fan than you. <laughs> that is accurate. Yes. <laughs> um, so really excited to be back in two weeks, uh, to have Steph on with us to talk about Thrawn. Um, it's primarily the new Canon Thrawn stories by, by Tim's on. Um, so excited to have her also super excited that I got to have you both on in, in the same month. That's going to be great. Um, so yeah. yeah, that is too much of us for all of your <laughs> listeners. I'm no, sorry. no, 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 no. You, you guys are both awesome. So it's going to be a great month as a result. And uh, I know Jason's excited to be on the Thrawn episode because he's he texted me last night and he's like almost done with the second Thrawn trilogy. He's been listening through him on Audible again, so he's he's extra amped to, to have the conversation. He's I remember he said to me, he's like, he goes, I feel like I've read some of the Legacy Force back when they were first coming out, but he's like, I don't know enough to join the conversation. And I'm like, that's valid. <laughs> so. Um, but, um, yeah. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for, for checking out this episode. Um, this has been episode 516 legacy of the force. Um, if you want to interact with us, uh, we are on, uh, Instagram at the Wampus Lair. We're on Twitter at Wampus Lair, or you can email us at Wampus Lair podcast at gmail.com. Uh, we look forward to seeing you back in a couple of weeks for a conversation all around Thrawn. Thank you again to you, Tyler, for making the time to be on the show, for being my companion on this super fun uh, Legends series. Um, Thanks for having me. Yeah. So on behalf of Tyler, I'm Carl, and we'll see you next time here in the Wampa's Lair. <laughs>